My name is Larry Gould and I'm your host today. And I've got two exceptional guests. Firstly, I've got Payman Samedi, who's from Eno, a company he started. And then we've got Luke Butler, who works for Comcast NBC Universal. And his particular job is really fascinating as he works with many, many different type of startups. So we're going to learn a lot from them both. So what I would like to do, if you don't mind, I'll start off with Payman. And I'd like you to introduce yourself and the journey of how how you ended up here and really got to Cornell uh, Tech and then from Cornell actually created a company. So over to you. Hi, everyone. My name is Payman Samadi. So um, I'm originally Persian, and I went to college back home. I went abroad to Canada to do my grad school, uh, finished grad school. I got a PhD in photonics and joined a company uh, working on uh, simulation tools for um, networks, optical networks. While I was there, I realized I really miss doing research and working that company didn't really fit me that that well. So I moved to the United States. I applied for this research position at Columbia University working on next generation networks. So I came up with ideas that how we could ne- make networks more efficient in terms of performance, energy efficiency, but with the idea of a decade from now, not marginal improvement. While I was there, I came up with a few ideas and uh, realized that Cornell is a place that is home to uh, deep tech startups. They provide uh, programs that help me to turn into an entrepreneur. So I applied for the runway program at Cornell Tech and went there, spoke with people, uh, did a couple of presentations, and they got me in. And that's how you know started. So as a person who's passionate about the technology, really cut out to be a business person. Because we're seeing a lot of people coming with their passion there, having a love affair. I bet you were one of those people lying awake at night thinking about what you were creating. But were you lying awake at night thinking about how you're creating a business and how you'd make lots of money for yourself and shareholders? Or is it just just getting into something like Cornell and having that kind of partnership? I am very interested to making something out of nothing. So uh, the whole idea of that you plant a seed and you take care of it and you grow it, it's very interesting to me. And I look at entrepreneurship and startups the same way, that you start with an idea and you start to nurture that idea. There are different departments and pieces that needs to be built. And as an entrepreneur and founder, you don't get to build it at scale. You basically plant the seed, nurture it, a few leaves come out, and then you delegate you give it to somebody else, and your job is more towards the, the general strategy and the direction and the company going and building the pieces there. Okay, I want to bring Luke in here. Um, it would be, I think, interesting for everybody, Luke, if you could tell them your job, because your job is very, very involved with startups. So could you tell us what your, your role is and what the role actually is with Comcast Lift Labs? What is that? Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me, Larry. And it's it's a pleasure to be here with you and also uh, Payman. Um, so my name is Luke Butler. I work for Comcast NBC Universal. And my job, the job of our team uh, as the startup engagement team, is to look for the best startups around the world that are building in categories that are important and relevant to our business. 
um, and to work with them to figure out, one, can we help them accelerate their growth? Can we help them figure out faster uh, how to build the businesses that they're building? Um, and then second of all, can what they're building be helpful to us and help us innovate in our products and um, help our teams move faster? So we've run a variety of programs. We get to work across the entire business um, from the core cable business um, and connectivity business to the movie studios with the with the Universal, to the television networks at NBC, to Sky now in Europe, uh, a company that we acquired a few years ago. So um, I think I have the best job in the company. I get to work across the entire business and then get to meet and work with folks like Payment who are doing the things that are really on the cutting edge of the areas that are important to us and that are going to be more and more important to us over the next, say, three to five years. Am I right in saying that most of these uh, would-be or startups come from an academic background or are they from a just more practical, you know, uh, got ideas and, and, and skills on creating something? Are they from a more academic background? I, uh, probably the majority don't come from an academic oh, background. Right. Interesting. Um, we we tend to favor founders that have a technical background. That so where where they're the ones yeah. that are building the technology and and kind of intimately familiar with with what the technology can do. Um, but for the most part, actually, the founders that we work with um, are repeat founders. They've built businesses in the past. Um, they've come from different businesses where they saw an opportunity to go and, and fix something or do something better. Um, then you run into folks like Payman, and we've got a couple in, in a program that we're running right now where um, they do have an academic background, but they also have this keen business sense of where they fit and where the gaps are. And, um, and, and, and they're just so impressive when it comes to the, the technology and the theory behind it that um, they're very compelling. So we, we like to work with folks like Payman too. Um, but I'd say the majority of more come from a business background. Okay, so payment. One of the things that we've noticed from people from an academic background is they get terribly disappointed because most of their life has been spent, unlike myself, passing exams and doing well. Did you ever fail in exams at all? I was very close to fail, but I never failed an exam. Oh, well, so. we have nothing in common, that's <laughs> for sure. Okay. <laughs> so the point about it is that, of course, life for people like me in some ways was easier because I had lots of failures and lots of times I failed. Let's talk about any failures you've had on your journey so far that you found difficult to deal with. Oh, definitely. There's, there has been many. Uh, one example that comes to my mind right now before starting this business I always learned that when you make an effort, when you put the time and all your energy, you could achieve what you want to achieve. But there was a period in my life that I wanted to find a specific job in a specific city. And I think I applied for every single job that existed in that city. And I called everyone, I emailed everyone multiple times. And it was surprising that I didn't even get one interview. And it was very first time in my life that I kind of hit the wall and I couldn't understand what's going on. And uh, one day I opened my eyes and I was super frustrated. I realized maybe there is another direction that I need to follow. And this direction, the universe, the you know, situation is telling me that this is not the right direction for you. So it was very eye-opening that it's not always about putting an effort and time and pushing it forward. It's also about finding the right direction and then going towards that direction. Okay, so we want to talk about 
partners because in my experience of working with all the startups and I've worked with now over 38 different startup companies, the biggest stress, and I'll be interested in what Luke has to say as well about it, is the fact that when you start up, you start up sometimes with a partner or a team, which is absolutely sensational and really good and a real love affair, if you like. And then as the circumstances change, you actually don't work well together. And those partnerships are, are the things that actually make or break. Now, I believe you, you know, when we've talked before, I've talked about how you had um, a partner. Well, of course, you had a partnership with Cornell, and that'd be interesting to hear. But I'm more interested to hear about that you had three other guys working with you for nothing. And I wonder what kind of partner you are that employs people who work for nothing. And are they partners today? So I started as a solo founder. And uh, through this journey, because I was a solo founder, I had to find partners, not in the full-time sense, but more in a part-time sense, to help me uh, moving forward. One of the programs that we did at the very start is understanding the exact problem that we are solving, who's our customer and what's our value proposition. And we did that through a program called ICOR, that it's a few months program and you need to interview 100 people, but it is very hard to do it by yourself. So I gathered a team, which is those three people that you're talking to with complementary skills that helped me to go through this but journey. Wh why did the work for you? I mean, I, you're a nice guy, but you know, <laughs> what, what was the incentive for them? Yeah, so uh, I think people do things for different reasons. Uh, these people all had a, a job, a stable job, but they all had this interest and curiosity about how to start a world. So they had this opportunity to get a taste without really losing their formal jobs and uh, see how, how's that life and if this is something for them. In fact, one of them, a year after, a year and a half after, started his own business and now working on, on, on his own in a way. And I think that, that kind of helped him in this decision-making process. And do you have any partners now or co-founders so or...? Our, our company, we don't have, I don't have a co-founder, but we have a team. We have a CTO. We have data scientists. We have people who are helping in business development within the team. And we also have partners outside our company. For example, Lift Labs is one of our partners towards having a customer, but design customer, design partners to get there. Uh, we are working with tech stars that are helping me on our story, on our messaging, fundraising. So there, there were a lot of other pieces, NSF, 500 startups that in our journey help us to get where we are now. So, so Luke, this partnership issue, I, I would say this is the main aggravation that I'm seeing. Obviously, finance is the, the biggest worry that startups, you know, uh, have to contend with. But the, 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 the partnership thing, in your role, do you consider the partners? Do you introduce partners? Or what's your advice about partners? What's your your thoughts on that, and how involved do you get? And he's claiming to be a partner of yours. Are you are you a partner of his, or just friends, or what? <laughs> <laughs> no, we're we're absolutely a partner, and um, uh, I, there have been some days where I spent more time with payment uh, than with my wife okay. uh, <laughs> because we're we're working very closely together. Um, I think in in our in our our team's role. 
we've we've now we've worked with just through the accelerator we've worked with over 50 companies and so we've seen a lot of teams come in um and we've ob- observed a few different things one is um to do this on your own is really hard um without a co-founder to yes to share the workload and to bring a different set of skills but also just to go on that journey with you and somebody that you can be open and honest in front of um you know we try to play a bit of that role with the startups in our program but we're also like a potential customer and so i'm sure you know there might be some things on payments mind that he would share with a friend or a co-founder that he wouldn't necessarily want to talk to us about um and that's fine and so i do think it's important that founders look for good teams to put around themselves um at the same time not every not everyone is built for this type of work we had a we had a company that came through our program in 2019 um that almost went out of business because the the founding team really had different visions about where the company should go and whether or not this lifestyle was was right for them um this is now probably our most successful portfolio company that's gone on to raise tens of millions of dollars and is is doing really well but the the ceo at the time realized I, I, I've got to make this decision now. Um, I need to put the right people around me that share the vision, that share um, what they want to do with their lives um, rather than just kind of continuing to limp forward um, because that is a surefire way to um, to run out of cash and to, to, to fail. So you've got to find the right people. You've got to know quickly um, if they're the right people to have around you. And then the last thing I'll say, Larry, is there are different people that you need at different stages. So I, I worked at a, before I joined Comcast, I worked at a, a venture backed startup. Um, and I'd say one of the challenges that we had was going from the team of people that were there when it was founded, the kind of the scrappy team of, you know, 12 to 15 people that really got it off the ground to when I joined, there were more than 150 people. And there were people joining from big enterprises who had different views on how you run a business and and how you interact with clients. And so that culture shift between the early startup people and then the growth people that you need is also an important thing to pay attention to because you need different people at different times for different parts of the journey. Can I just come in there? We're missing out something called emotions because it's like a relationship, isn't it, when you're a partner? It's, you know, really, really intense and very exciting and very, very new, like all sorts of relationships. When you say, you know, these guys are great, they were fantastic, but they're no good now, and I need to get rid of them and replace them. Have you had that experience? Have you done it? Was it easy? What? So this is actually the third generation of people in our company. As exactly Luke said, uh, we started with a certain group of people. They were great for that phase, but I realized at some point that they're not going to be the most effective ones for the next phase. So, you know, say goodbye and hire new people. And uh, this stage that we are is the most stable one. People we have been working for two years. But I'm absolutely with Luke that you need to make those decisions. You need to realize that these people cannot really help you to go forward. And at the end of the day, the main goal, there's a lot of emotions and everything. The main goal is that the company have to exist. If the company does not exist, nothing's going to exist. And you need to be able to have the emotions, but also at the same time, separate your emotions from the company to make the best decisions because the emotional emotional decisions are usually not 
the best decisions you make. So I'll be looking forward to hearing some uh, comments from people who are watching and listening today on it sounds sort of easy what you're saying, but those emotions are really difficult. Did you have anybody or has Luke helped to get rid of anybody or start anybody? <laughs> Luke, let's ask him. You, you know what he's doing. You're there working with him. Uh, you know, are you a, are you a, a spitter up of people or, or introducer of people or what? He, 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 Payman hasn't asked me to, to get rid of anybody uh, quite yet. Um, no, I mean, I, on, on this point about emotions, though, the, the, the one thing I'll add, Larry, is, you know, we we have an objective set of criteria around the sorts of companies that we're interested in. We have an objective set of criteria around the sectors and the categories that are relevant to us. But at the end of the day, we're also all human beings and you want to enjoy the people that you work with and you want to trust the people that that you're connecting to other people inside the business. I remember, you know, Payman and I, along with KJ, our, our other partner in the textiles program, before Payman decided that this program was the right thing for him, we had a bunch of, you know, pretty open, honest conversations about um, what he needed um, from a program like this, what we were able to deliver, what we've done in the past. And I, I, I defer to payment on this, but I, I think we had those conversations on a you know human to human level. Like we don't want you to join this this program and enter into this partnership if it's not the right thing for you and for your company, um, and if we don't think we can we can help you. And and so we try and be just upfront and honest about that because we also want to like the people that we work with. Can I just come in there, Luke? Because people are at home or where they are or walking out and listening or looking at this podcast today, and they know, they're thinking for this moment, you know, this is actually my problem, which I avoid. This is actually my problem. And I know Fred or Jenny or whatever is wrong for me, but oh my goodness, what process can you, you say to the people jogging at the moment thinking, oh, my goodness me, this is just the, this is someone I'm so, so fed up because they've been such a great person and now I really need to get rid of them. Any sort of process that then goes through because it's not like you can go to HR or a senior director because you're a startup. Any, any suggestions? I, I think the main thing is the, the, the thing about building a startup and payment is more qualified than I to talk about this is it's it, it really is a lifestyle choice you, you, there's a lot of sacrifice involved there are impacts on you know you could probably be earning far more money doing far less work than you are now at a in a more traditional job and so it's not for everybody and I think if if, if founders or, or kind of co-founders um, are not don't believe in the in the company don't and aren't willing to put everything on the line for it then it's it's not for them and i, I think you just have to have an open and honest conversation about that because it's it's not it's not just an employment relationship um it's it's something much deeper than that and so um it's not fair to drag it out on either party it's not fair to drag it out and then as a as a founder that is you know has raised money in order to grow the business you also have a ticking clock over you um, and each month that goes by um, that you're not accelerating and moving forward, you're burning cash. So you, you have to make these decisions very quickly um, that you're not accelerating and moving forward. You're burning cash. So you, you have to make these decisions very quickly. OK, I'd like to go back to what these podcasts are called. They're called the Irresistible Podcasts. 
And in the dictionary, it's irresistible, it's too tempting and too attractive to resist. And what we've done in my companies and the companies I work with is we try and apply the word irresistible to everything. So it's too irresistible. The product or service is too irresistible. Payment, can you explain what's irresistible about your company, working for them, being a customer of theirs? What's, what's too tempting and too attractive uh, to resist from Eno? So we, when we talk to the, our clients, we know what is exactly the problem. What is the problem they're trying to solve? And we speak their language. We are there to make their life easier. We are there to help them to achieve their goals. And we try to do it in a way that they spend the least amount of time. We don't add more things to their uh, you know, to-do list and makes it easy for them to engage with us. Uh, we have done our homework to understand their field, what, what matters, what does not matter. And based on all of these conversations, we have designed a solution that really solves the problem. It will solve the problem in different stakeholders. We are in the enterprise world, so we don't deal with one person. We are dealing with people who are the end user who use the product, who make their job easier. We are dealing with people who are in the more manager level and they have a specific budgets and they have a specific responsibility for the quality that they need to provide. So they are more uh, certain that their team is delivering the job. And then we go at the higher level. It's about the strategies, about the capital they're spending, the return getting from that capital. So it provides for them as well. So our product is very tempting because there, it has a value proposition for every single stakeholder in this decision-making process. And then while we start working with them. We also try to provide the very best and close customer service, be there, solve the problem as, as close as we can. So that sounds all well and good and sounds all well and good. But what about this storytelling? Does it mean much to you or, or what? And are you helping people, you know, with your organization, with storytelling? What's your opinion, Luke? I think storytelling is critically important, um, whether you're talking to investors or to um, businesses like ours. Often you only have a very short amount of time to capture somebody's attention. Um, and and so you have to do that in a memorable way. You have to do that in a way that's going to stick in, um, in their minds. The other thing is I think payments company is, is relatively advanced in terms of the companies that we work with. But often the product itself is, is at a very early stage. There's very little traction. There are very few customers. So you're really not selling them on today's metrics. You're selling them on the story and the vision of what it can become. And so that's a really important part of our program. And whether it's through helping coach the founders as they meet with business leaders, helping them work with the media um, and do interviews like this one or with, with um, journalists in our own organization, that's a big part of what we do is try and get them ready to tell that story um, and to do and to articulate their business in the most compelling way possible. My impression on lots of the startups is leave me alone with that. I'll deal with it after I've got the product ready, go away, where they don't seem to have a go-to-market strategy. And the go-to-market strategy, you know, would be a strategy that sort of forces you to look in to what the market needs. Again, to you, to you, Payman, what, what do you think? I think you need to 
I mean, definitely you're always telling a story when you talk to, to people, but the story needs to be customized to who you're talking to. So when you talk to your customers, the language, the story that you're telling them has to be something that they understand, they 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 get it, and they they realize that you know their life and you know what they're going through. Uh, for example, we talk to a customer, and then you know we we give them our story and say, "This is the struggle we are dealing with it every day." And when the customer says that, we're super happy because we realize that we have find the exact problem that they're str struggling with. But once you go to the investor side, they're looking for different things. Most of the investors don't care much about uh, your product. And, you know, it's more about for them as a general investor, understand what you do in a very lay definition. So that story. So, so can I go? This is a really hard job, isn't it? Uh, and in actual fact, I, I, I gave a talk to a whole group of people recently and said, you will fail if you don't know how to tell the stories in different ways, what's what's your take on that? Or what advice can we give to the people who are, you know, thinking of starting up or have started up and not having the traction? What can they do? I think payment touched on something that's really important, which is is customizing the message that you're delivering for the audience that you're delivering it to. And and even within as you as you think about um enterprise sales for example which is kind of the world the world that we're in there are many different constituencies within an enterprise and you have to frame your message um in a way that is going to appeal to the, the people that you're speaking to so what we we often see this we see companies that come in and you can tell right off the bat they've got their like standard sales pitch that they're going to deliver it, it doesn't it doesn't uh signal any uh, sense that they know what the person they're talking to's role is, what 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 the business is, what are the things they've tried before in the past, what do they care about? They're just doing their standard sales pitch, and that doesn't really land because people in big businesses like ours they hear that kind of stuff all day every day. The people that really stand out are the people that have done a bit of research. They understand who they're meeting with, with what their responsibilities are, what the drivers are on their decisions. Um, what are they interested in? What have they tried before? Um, and it shows that respect to be able to go into a room and say, Larry, you know, I know that you're in, in your role, you know, you're focused on on this. I know that last year you tried um, approaching this category with this type of solution. Let me tell you why what we're doing is a bit different and we think it can be helpful to you. And, and showing that kind of respect and doing that bit of work up front really pays dividends, I think. And I think payments really, I think, very good at understanding the customer, asking the questions that can help inform him. And then our team and our colleagues um, that are mentoring payment through this program, help him understand, oh, you're talking to this person. He's going to want to hear about this. And that, you know, that is, is a critical piece to build into your go-to-market. So, Luke, I hope that people are taking note. It really is important that storytelling is absolutely essential. And it's something that people, it's not that they're, they're lazy and it's not because they don't want to do it. It's because they, they can't do it and they can do it, of course, but they think they can't do it because that's not their skill. Uh, and so there are sorts of ways that people can be helped by have, you know, by actually employing somebody that can help them do it as well, or really listening to podcasts, reading books about making storytelling and presentations. It's no good sitting there at 
home or what office you're working in and complaining that nobody's really getting what you're doing, it's it's your responsibility to tell that story. That is very useful. Payment can ask you then, so what's and what's being good about working with these guys? I shouldn't really put you in this very embarrassing position. So we'll cut it if you say something really awful about Luke's, um, you know, Lift Labs. But what it, what's Lift Labs meant to you? What has it done for you? Or is it just, I don't know, tell us. Sure. Uh, I mean, I'm going to start with the storytelling side and being able to customize it. And we we got a lot of workshops and trainings through Lift Labs of how to form the story towards investors and how to talk to them so they understand, understand what they care about. And when I started this program and told this story the first time to a group of people, none of them said, I don't understand what you're talking about. And uh, a few weeks after when we worked, we went through these workshops and I did the same thing. Every single said, yes, I understand what you're talking about. And I saw the difference myself and it was, it was, it was very, you know, I really enjoyed that moment that I'm able to tell a very complicated technical product to a group of people who have no idea what I do and they understand. But then much bigger than that, the, the, the reason that we are very interested and very enjoying work, working with Comcast and LiftLab is working in enterprise world, it's a very long process. It takes a lot of time to find the right person to talk to. It takes a lot of time to define the exact problem, define a, a POC, scope it, find a champion, you know, get the approvals and start it. Uh, through Lift Labs, we had dedicated, we have dedicated mentors that they work with us. They help us identify the team. They help us to have our messaging in the right way. They help us to write the right type of POC with the language that that team understands. And we managed to have a very fast progress and start some trials and POCs within Comcast uh, compared to all other enterprise customers that we had in a very short period of time. So, so can I, I hope you don't mind me asking this question, Luke, not know it, but if people are listening today, I mean, it's amazing what um, uh, Lift Labs is doing, Comcast NBC Universal is doing. Uh, you know, we do send out a, a bulletin um, after all our podcasts. Um, are you open to people? How to do are you open to people coming to you with their ideas? Are you looking for people? What is there any interest for you there for any of our listeners who've got some great ideas? Uh, and if so, are there any particular industries that you're more interested in? Yes, yeah, absolutely. So as I mentioned at the outset, Larry, we, we run a couple of different programs that provide a path into our business for, for early stage startups. So the program that Payment is part of is the Lift Labs Accelerator. Um, we're running that right now. We'll, we'll be recruiting companies early next year um, for that program. I'd say if you're a if you're a startup that's building in media or entertainment or connectivity or the future of work, um, those are all categories that we're we're really interested in. We'll we'll refine and come out with some more specific focus areas within those early next year. Um, but companies that are anywhere from you know. Uh, in terms of funding raise, it, it's kind of, they've raised some funding from friends and family or angel investors, all the way up to companies that might have raised a seed round. Um, those are the companies that I think are relevant to us and that, that I think we might be able to help. And then the other thing that we, the other program we run is a program called Liftoff. Um, and through Liftoff, 
we work with very in very specific areas. Um, so, for example, we're doing a liftoff challenge right now around care technology and the solutions that can help people in their homes um, where they have someone or something, a pet to take care of. So um, for parents or, or, or children that are taking care of uh, aging parents, um, these are all solutions that we think are highly relevant to our, our business and to what people need. So we're looking for companies that might be a little bit further along, what, what we would call enterprise ready. So perhaps we're not their first customer. Um, those are challenges that come out every couple of months. So uh, I would say pay attention to our social channels, to our website, lift.comcast.com. Um, and if Larry, you're kind enough to share out any of these opportunities with your audience, uh, we'd love to hear from people. Well, that, that's absolutely brilliant. And of course, we will be sharing all that information out with the bulletins. It's a fantastic opportunity. And um, thank you so much for that. And I would like to thank you, Payman, as well. It's great to see somebody who's developed so much from you. And as we've discussed, not so much online, but offline, many of the issues that you've dealt with. So it's really fantastic achievement. I wish you both luck. And I look forward to, um, to hearing that lots of people are, are, are going to be joining you. And also, we must, we must also recognize that not all organizations, large organizations like Com uh, Comcast, NBC Universal, are working so hard at helping this very large group of people in our communities who really do need that help. So that that's great. So thank you very much. And we look forward to speaking to you again in the near future and have a great week and have an irresistible work week this week. Bye for now. For more on me, Larry J. Gould and the show, check out our website, our irresistible newsletter and follow us on social media. 